This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. The sad thing about the, the Val like, and Peter's podcast. Like, what 40K called? stats. 40K. So the sad thing is, is that I listened to it and was entertained, but I was mad the whole time. I was like, these guys fucking show sucks. Like, like I just didn't like the, that, the way that they're delivering it. Wow, that frustrated me. And I was like... Yeah, like I don't, I don't think that either of those guys listen to our show. But if they do, I'm not, I'm not one to just be like, hey, stop doing like what you think is cool, because like you probably like the Raptors and stuff too, like <laughs> cash money, <laughs> yeah, cash money, yeah. he absolutely likes the Raptors. There's no doubt in that. But he, he was wearing his visor upside down, like with his cash money hammer oh basketball jersey. I, I feel like that's gotta be, that's gotta be a persona he's putting out there. Frontline Gaming presents 40K Stat Center with your hosts, Val Heffelfinger and the Falcon. The boys in Boise got to work those arms as they doubled up on team, doubled up Shrutter at the Boise Cup. It definitely was not a deadly dearth of draws at the Desert Rat GT. Who would win in the eventual war of widgets and wads? Does everyone from New Zealand look and sound like Peter Jackson? The winner of Battle Above the Brinderwind sure does. Our first bona fide podcast shade toss. How does it feel, Falcon? Oh, it feels so good. Uh, you know you've hit the big time when they, when other podcasts start throwing shade. But I love it. Although, I will have to correct them. I have never once worn a visor upside down. No, I believe they were referring to me in my garb and as well as my beloved team, uh, Cash Money Hammer, uh, maybe at, at, at the Las Vegas Open. I'm not exactly sure where they would have spotted me in all my glory. And, I mean, if this is a persona, my name is not Val Heffelfinger. I see what you did there, and I really enjoyed it. Now, of course, we don't want to go out and out the source too badly, but if you ever did want to meet that show, go to the Tim Hortons and Kamloops, knock three times on the wheelchair-accessible bathroom, and ask for a double-double. Well, we hope everyone had a wonderful weekend here in Canada. The sky was alight with fireworks as we celebrated our 152nd year as America's fanciest hat. Mm. While deep in the heart of the Rio Grande, within the tater-rich soil of Idaho and the sheep-ridden fields of New Zealand, our comrades went to war with tiny, painted spacemen. While a slower week than we have come to expect this year in terms of major and GT coverage, it also meant an easier one to collect and compile the data for you. 40kstats.com is all up to date with the latest numbers coming out of this weekend for your viewing pleasure, as well as the top list from two of the events we're talking about today. Yeah, so this week we did our best to get you all of the top table action from the three events on the docket, and I believe almost everyone delivered. Um, it was definitely, uh, it's definitely been a pleasure to receive such rich and informative takes from the players, I think. Um, we Now, while we do our best to reach out and get sound bites compiled, there are times when players just don't have the time to uh, reach back to us, or they would prefer a more intimate one-on-one -on -one interview to give their lists, tactics, more justice, etc. Um, or sometimes we're just late getting them the questions we'd like to see answered. Uh, so and by something that, and, and, and by we, Peter means uh, me. But I'm, I'm late. Well, okay. We, we can take it on together, my, my good friend. <laughs> um, 
Now, something we've begun implementing for future use um, is going to be a regional correspondent role for the podcast. Our plan is to eventually have friends of the podcast from regions all around North America and the world uh, that frequently attend the larger events in their areas, that know the players, uh, keep a watchful eye on the goings on around them, etc., um, to, to start kind of, I wouldn't say working for us, uh, because it, we won't be paying them, but uh, mm-hmm. they, they'll be able to help us with uh, in-person interviews, on-scene reports, and you know general local area knowledge, just so we can provide a, a, a more immersive uh, podcast for you guys. Yeah, and it's it's always good to have people uh, on the ground and uh, closer to the scenes uh, who know the players can give us insights on who to watch and uh, who to definitely talk to. You know, not every time the, the top table is the biggest story, so uh, you kind of have to you know know the names on the page in order to get that. So having a roster of correspondents will be really helpful. Uh, we've got some some folks we're going to be reaching out to over the next week. But of course, if you're in a in an area and you're a keen uh, listener of the show, feel free to reach out to us on our uh, Facebook page, 40K Stats Center. Uh, or Val Heffelfinger, um, whatever you like, uh, just get in touch with us and, and we'll see if, uh, if there could be something you can help us with. For sure. And uh, we'll come out in probably another two or three episodes with the actual list of people that we've reached out to and have agreed to do it. And uh, once you've seen the regions, uh, maybe you'll, uh, you'll want to be added yourself. Um, and uh, even if you're not one of the regional correspondents, feel free to reach out to us anytime. Like Val said, if you're going to a major event and you, you want to help us out, we will gladly accept anything you can provide. Absolutely. And uh, just on to some other news, I think some of you may have noticed that the podcast feed you're currently listening to has actually been changed. It's no longer singles, signals from the front line. That is one of the many exciting shows available to you on the Frontline Gaming Network. Ba-ba-ba-bam! So Where's the air horn? Yeah, I, I gotta get an air horn button. There's an empty space on this board for an air horn button. Next week, guys, air horn until you hate us. Um, but seriously, <laughs> um, Frontline Gaming um, obviously has uh, us. They have um, the very long running and... Uh, I don't know, national treasure, that is, signals, of the, uh, signals from the front line. And Chapter Tactics, where both Peter and I were given our first uh, start uh, yapping on about Warhammer and, and various things on the Internet. So um, mm-hmm. those shows uh, comprise to form the uh, Frontline Gaming Network. Uh, that's how you can find us. That's the name of the, of the feed. You don't have to change anything. If you're, if you're sub to Signals from the Frontline, you're now sub to the Frontline Gaming Network. And that includes, too, as well, all the stuff they do on Twitch and YouTube. So that's why it's not the podcast network. It's just network. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, it's a pretty big change. I, I, I'm really loving what they're doing with it. And, um, you know, talking about Chapter Tactics, I hope everyone's gotten a chance to give it a listen. And if you haven't, I, I really would for this week. It was a great episode. Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed it. I had a, a number of really big laughs. Uh, Jeff, Sean, and Pablo really hit it out of the park this week, I think, in my opinion. And it, um, it, I'd say it's a rare, uh, all three of them being funny episode. Yeah, even, usually even it's Sean, just two. Usually it's just two or three. And and, and pa- Pablo on purpose being funny a bunch of times? <laughs> yeah, you hit what I was going to say. But anyway. <laughs> um, also, I just want to point out that um, later on this week, uh, maybe even in the next day or two, you'll be able to get uh, the Frontline Gaming Network available to you on both Google Play Music as well as Spotify and a couple other places that uh, you know uh, the, the boys down at Frontline have finally caught up to. And have added the show to so um, some uh, some cool administration there. So now, no matter if you're an Android, iOS device user, or if you listen to us on the internets, or perhaps uh, through Alexa on TuneIn Radio or something like that, you can always get a get a handle on the feed. Perfect. Anything else you want to talk before we get into the tournaments, Val? 
Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, as you uh, are well aware, um, TOing TGX, we're an on-paper major up here in Toronto. That's on uh, July 19th as a team event, 20th and 21st for the 40K champs. Um, like I said, we're about an on-paper major. We're sitting right around 60 players right now. So if we can just pad those numbers a bit, we can actually have a, a major 40K tournament in Toronto or near Toronto. Uh, which is hilarious that it's been this difficult to get folks out. I've got to admit, um, I'm, I'm impressed by all the TOs who've built up these massive GTs because it's not easy convincing folks to come out to play in the summer sometimes. For sure, and uh, I'm surprised that uh, you're having such a hard time in Toronto of all places. Well, you know, it is the center of the Canadian universe. so uh, It really is. I don't know. Maybe it's a blind spot to 40K. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> Uh, and then, of course, Capital City Bloodbath out in Ottawa. That one's in August. Um, probably the premier uh, 40K tournament uh, that Canada has to offer. Uh, Ottawa's a beautiful town uh, any day of the year, but especially in the summer. Uh, it's right by the airport, as many 40K events are, and at a, a massive airplane hangar-like venue. Lots of room to move around. Um, you know, the Canhammer guys who run it have uh, invested heavily in beautiful terrain. It's Certainly one of the best events you could possibly go to, so I'd highly recommend it. And I think they're getting up over 90 sold so far, so they're probably getting close to where they're capping it. If that's something you're interested in, I'd grab tickets as soon as you can. For sure, and if you're really interested, you'll be able to catch Val and I there, along with a few other uh, notable 40K personalities. Not that uh, Val or I are, but uh, I know uh, Rob, the Honest Wargamer, is going to be there providing uh, uh, game coverage, along with myself and Val, Michael mm -hmm. Scott, a number of others. It's, it's going to be a really good time. Yeah, and uh, the Oz Wargamer, you know, they do, uh, well, they're salty. They're salty over there. But it, you know what? They do do some of the best live tournament coverage that you can watch. Um, and actually, speaking of really great live tournament coverage, just another plug for uh, the ATC coming up, uh, I guess not this weekend, but the weekend following. Um, they're going to have some fantastic stream coverage. Um, uh, it's going to be all over the Internet. So basically any, any of the 40K feeds that you follow, off, a lot of them will be carrying it. Um, and again, I promised more information about that last week, and I forgot to get it. So next week, lots of details on that stream. And, and good. Uh, yeah. Always keep watch of the 40K Stats Center Facebook page because we'll be uh, what we're trying to do now every weekend is we find a stream, whether it's uh, somebody live streaming on Facebook, like uh, with the Boise Cup in the final round, or an actual like professional Twitch stream. We're trying to get those links to you guys. So if you want to like us over there or follow us, just so that you can get. Uh, Get that up to the minute exactly where you can get your uh, G your Warhammer 40k fix in. By all means, uh, give us a like over there. Absolutely. And uh, don't forget to listen to Signals from the Frontline, also a member of the Frontline Gaming Network family. Do we have anything else to add or can we hit them with the bump? Let's hit them with the bump. Tournament news is made possible by BestCoastPairings.com. Download the BCPTO app to organize events for just about any tabletop game system. Download the player app to easily find and participate in events from around the world. Around the world. Subscribe to BCP for as little as $5 a month to support the team and unlock additional features. Available for iOS and Android. BestCoastPairings.com. Competitive events. Easier. Oh, Keith. Always so smooth. So what are we talking about right now, Mr. Falcon? Hey, without further ado, let's kick it to Boise, Idaho, home of the Broncos for the third annual Boise Cup. Ranked the safest city to, the, to live in in the United States of America. And Boise is truly just as burgeoning a mecca in the real world as it is in the Warhammer one. 
Last year, the event hit 58 players, and this year it sat at 76 with 80 initially registered, so not too bad on a uh, attrition standpoint. That is huge growth for what has been, by all accounts, an incredible event to attend. Let's get to T.O. Aaron Albert and hear what he had to say about the Boise Cup, its origins, and its growth. How I got started is I moved to Boise three years ago, and when I came here, I noticed that there was no ITC events here at all, or much of any at the time, and I saw ABU Games, which had a great gaming space, and along with a friend, I, uh, Matt Johansson, we decided to uh, start up a league, run tournaments, and lead up to a larger grand tournament. Uh, as we stated earlier, Boise has become quite the Western mini-mecca for 40K, with a large number of players traveling from out of state to attend. Aaron was kind enough to give us a bit of a breakdown of uh, who showed up and uh, what to expect if you go next year. We had a good amount of players travel. At least two-thirds of the players were from out of town, uh, including up to five states, at least, mm -hmm. that came to the event. Um, the... Meta in our area is mixed. Uh, we do have a lot of really solid competitors, such as Ben Cromwell, Michael Schneider, and Matt Johansson. So there's a lot of tough competition here. As Aaron mentioned, this event was absolutely stacked with big-name players, both local and from abroad. Local hero Michael Damn You Snyder was in attendance, as was the likes of Brandon, the finisher Grant, Sean, Maida, Morgan, and fresh off his first major victory, Richard, the old war boss, Kilton. Every major faction but Grey Knights had some kind of appearance, though Imperial Knights definitely led the way, making up the primary detachment in 10 lists and being a part of 13. Crass Crusaders were out in droves. Boise also continued the upward trend of mono-faction armies showing up at large events, with 42 of the 76 lists qualifying as such. After four games, it came down to four undefeated players vying for the top prize. Brandon Grant running guard with an assassin versus Rich Kilton's Orc Horde. And then you had Thomas Hegstrom Oki's Blood Angels with an assassin going up against Ryan Lynn's Hive Mind Steroid City list. Now, you may have heard of Brandon Grant before. He's kind of a big deal around here. He's won LVO, the SoCal Open, and a plethora of other accolades in his 40K career. And it should be no surprise that he once again had made his way to another top table performance here at Boise. Brandon brought a list that was only a slight deviation from what he took to BAO, BAO a list that left him one spot out of the top eight at that event. Uh, Peter, do you have uh, that list queued up? Will you want to maybe break the ice on a, on a list read? So, Brandon Grant's list for Boise Cup, he had a Katachan Battalion with the Vigilus Emperor's Blade Assault Company. He had Colonel Strachan in this with a company commander wielding the ever-mighty Power Fist. Three units of ten infantry squads, uh, three Chimeras, and then he had a 2nd Battalion, also Katachan, with the Emperor's Fist Tank Company Vigilist Detachment. This included two tank commanders with battle cannons and plasma cannons, three more infantry squads, and then a 3rd Katachan Battalion. This one, the Emperor's Wrath Artillery Company, with a 3rd uh, battle cannon tank commander. This one with a LAS cannon on top of the two plasma cannons. Another company commander, this one with a power sword. Three more infantry squads, a squad of nine Bulgren with a mix of uh, brute shields, slab shields, and everybody with those Bulgrin Mauls, an Astropath, a Minostorm Priest, and a Wyvern. And then to top it all off, he had that Operative Requisition Sanctioned Stratagem listed on his uh, list. So he was taking that 
random assassin every turn. Not very random, I'm sure. Variations of this list have served Brandon well in the past. Let's cut to Brandon and what we what he had to say about the list and what unit really shined for him this time around. The way the list works is um, it's mono guard, mono catachan, so everything works really well together. At upping the firepower of guard, which is pretty solid already. Uh, so the three tank commanders are pretty good for a firebase, and they're small enough compared to a knight that I can actually hide some of them sometimes. Then I've got the uh, Chimera formation, so the Chimeras give me some midfield push with the 90 Guardsmen. And then the Bulgruns are there to sort of be linebackers and make sure that it's a bit more difficult for enemy melee units to get close enough to the tank commanders to give them a bad day. And then there's a Wyvern and an Assassin in the list as well for support on dealing with hordes, uh, things out of line of sight, and also character disruption. Funnily enough, my MVP unit was probably Strachan this weekend just because Strachan did a lot of damage over the course of the game to a lot of different units and of course he provides his area of effect buff and gives orders so Strachan followed up with a priest followed up with a bunch of catachans can do a lot of work for a push so he was definitely the overperformer in my list in this tournament especially because he's character and he's hiding so he tended to survive the game which was great now, Brandon had quite the run going up against some pretty tight competition, but he did want to make sure that uh, he gave one particular player his due, and that player was Colby Hopkins. Do we have a clip? Heck yeah, we do. I do want to give a special shout out while I've got everyone online to my third round opponent, Colby, for running a Mono Sisters army with a brigade battalion. I was very impressed by that. And if you look at the scores, it was another close game, 24-21. Um, made me think very hard about how to deal with his army and kind of makes me want to collect sisters now if they ever come out with a codex and plastic sisters because it was that fun of a list to play against. So um, props to Colby for giving me a really great game as well. And, of course, feel free to check out BCP to see what Colby brought. Um, all you got to do is subscribe. Five bucks a month, not too bad. But as we said, Brandon went into the final match as, uh, as far from the underdog. Uh, let's hear how he fared and what went down from his point of view. So everyone's asking about the final game. Um, it was a one-point game. Um, I wish I'd been able to play faster, so definitely would have been liked to get in more turns for both of us. Um, I made a mistake during deployment and misunderstood the new chapter-approved deployment, and that really threw me off. It totally changed my game plan, made me reconsider a lot of what I was doing, and I lost a lot of time because of being, well, I wouldn't say put on tilt emotionally, but definitely it was a struggle to figure out the game plan if I'd already made a plan and then had to reorient. So... I ended up making a few basic mistakes with movement and also having some ridiculous dice because I never got off a psychic barrier the whole game with three CP rerolls. Um, but other than that, I think it was my game to lose. I learned a lot in that game. I'd love to play Rich anytime, and he definitely earned it. Now, he didn't want to say he was on tilt, but do you think he might have been a little bit on tilt? Okay, so Val, have you ever met Brandon Grant? Look, I don't want to get into this. I don't want. I don't want to besmirch the man. He's. I don't. He's I just don't think he's ever been on tilt. I don't think that's a thing for him. Okay. I mean. But I will say, 
He may have been a little bit on tilt. Might have been a little bit on tilt. Just a little bit. I mean, there is some Facebook footage uh, brought to you by a friend of the show, Ben Jerick, um, who uh, what a legend. He was a bit of a legend. I don't think he got the whole game down, but uh, he definitely uh, stood by the side of it and uh, took some pictures. Yeah. So just brief story. Ben's final game was against a uh, Slaneshi Demonet army with uh, Sl- uh, Celeste, uh, Paul Winters, uh, a big Slaneshi devotee. However, that list does not pair well into Ben Jerick's list, and I believe it ended after maybe 20 minutes. So Ben had quite a lot of time on his hands. He ran over to Rich's table as a big orc fan and started recording. However, his battery died maybe after one round of uh, of watching, so you really didn't get a lot out of it. We did link uh, the Facebook live stream on uh, 40K Stat Center's Facebook page if you want to take a look at what you can see. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll also get to hear Rich talk a, a little bit about uh, about what we caught uh, in that in those brief minutes before Ben's uh, phone died. And um, if you can't tell from what you just heard from Brandon, the game didn't go overly well for him. Uh, what you may not have been able to guess was that the game was finished after only three rounds of play, as we've been told, and with just a one-point differential. Uh, we're told that Rich Kilton obviously played like a boss, and uh, fresh off his major win just one week ago at the Milady Major, mm-hmm. or the Gentleman's G- GT, for those of you not in the know. Milady. It, it can be quite a rush going into your first event after such a big performance and your first one in so long. Um, so let's cut to what Rich had to say about that, about coming into uh, coming into this event fresh off such a big win for him. Thanks again for having me on. I can't believe that I'm here again. And, uh, I mean, dude, orcs, orcs rule, man. It is so great to be with you. Um, so, yeah, if I... I Coming in with off a very recent huge win, you know, um, you feel very fortunate to to beat the players you beat and to to have a major win like that. And <clears throat> I'm not in the place where I go into something like this feeling confident, but uh, I I knew my list was good. I uh, I knew that I could play with really good players, but I also knew that there were going to be some great players at this event. So in some ways, you still have to dodge the bad matchup. And that's one of the interesting things. Some of my teammates had lists that would do really well against some of my bad matchups. We didn't plan it that way, but that's how it would have worked out. And fortunately, I didn't draw any of those bad matchups. So I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, now, of course, you can check last week's episode on BC, um, last week's episode, BCP or 40ksats.com, top four's link to see uh, Rich's full list up close. Um, there's a very, very minor change uh, week over week. This week, I believe he swapped out a custom shooter and something else uh, uh, so that he could take a wrecking ball in a truck and uh, bring in a couple grots. Uh, yeah, it was 20. Yeah, it was, you know, next it was like about a 10 points uh, swing on the yeah. list, but very Massive similar. Changes. Massive yeah. changes. Oh, it, like definitely probably changed how the whole list played. Um, now, like Brandon, Rich played some very tight games by his uh, standards and Though I'm unsure if he would ever say a bad word about anyone, he definitely seemed to have a great set of opponents at Boise. Uh, here's a, a couple of his highlights uh, from the earlier rounds. So my tightest two games were my first game where I faced three Caladius Grav Tanks and an Orion Dropship. And uh, my buddy Thomas said he was so glad he didn't have to face that. And uh, I was glad that I didn't have to face Tao. But... Uh, I was very fortunate in being able to, with everything I had, a couple of super smite, uh, all my shooting, double shooting into that Orion, I dropped it on turn one. He had been really aggressive, and it allowed me to charge all his 
his gray knights that were hiding inside on turn one and uh, allowed me to squeak out a very close victory with a late turn charge. And then, but my favorite game until the final was against my friend and teammate Scott Rumpel in round four. Um, his match, his list is beautiful. It looks great. He's really in it for the painting challenge. And he went four and one, which is amazing, but his list didn't really match up against mine. But he was a friend and it was great to, to see him try so hard to beat me um, with, a, with a really underpowered list compared to, to mine. He was list down. But he played like a trooper, and when the shock attack gun rolled the boxcars and aced his knight on turn one, he just smiled, and, and we just played it out. And, but it was, it was pretty much over from there. And then in my game against Brandon, I'm going to go over some highlights, but the, the shock attack gun again rolled the boxcars. That's three big games against Jeff, against Scott, and against, um, against Brandon that the boxcars were rolled on the shock attack gun and that thing when it does that it's just like goodbye to whatever it's shooting at so anyone that knows Rich um, and Brandon knows that uh, there are very few people more qualified to be called the good guys of 40k um, they're just absolute pleasures to play against and talk Warhammer with I've had the pleasure of doing uh, both with both players um, and uh, I think it's <laughs> we really should hear from Rich just how the game played out from his point of view and, uh, you know, just before we roll this clip, I just want you to know that the K and 40K Stats Center is Kilton. That's what it stands for. This is going to be probably our longest uh, interview segment. But you know what, man? I cannot cut Rich off. He's a delight to me. I know he's, I know he's talking into a potato, everybody, but I think it's, it's well worth the, the audio struggle. Uh, so here we go. Rich with a, a really fun uh, and engaging description of his top table game against the Brandon Grant. So my game against Brandon, you go into a game against somebody like that, and you know, of course you're nervous, and I'm sitting there. I don't I, – I have a hard time – I mean, it looks like I eat plenty, but on, in a tournament, I can't eat between games. So I'm just sitting there looking at the table. They told us where we were going to be playing. They came in. They set up the train. So I put out the objectives, and I just stared at the table thinking, okay, what am I going to do? And uh, so Brandon came back from lunch, and he looks all relaxed, and I'm sweating sheets. And, and uh, so, so we come to the table. We pick – we pick things. I knew the first roll was important, so we roll, and he wins the roll, which, in my opinion, was losing the roll. So he gets to um, – he – I choose to make him deploy first. So he deploys, and then I deploy, and then Brandon says, okay, you go first. And I started to freak out a little bit. So in, in a game against most people, they say something like that. You go, oh, <laughs> You don't understand the rules. Because in this mission, whoever deploys first goes first. Um, but this is Brandon Grant. So when he said that, I go, dude, I must have misread the mission. What am I thinking? I screwed myself. And so I, I, I go, uh, is that – no, Brandon, I think that you have to go first. And he's all, no. And I'm going, oh, no, I'm an idiot. So I, I mean, I don't doubt Brandon Grant, but I go, let me, let me check. And so I grabbed the paper, and we read through it. And I, I actually was right. Um, which I, I'm so glad, but he had deployed thinking that he would get to choose to go first. And so he was in, there's a little awkward moment where he's all, oh, dude, I would have totally deployed differently. And he looks across at me, and this is freaking Brandon Grant, number one in the ITC. I'm in a place, what the heck do I do? Maybe I'm at an advantage if I say, well, too bad, buddy, but I don't really want to win that way. Um, 
A, I don't know that it made much difference for me how, if he changed things. So I said, okay, Brandon, you can go ahead and redeploy, but if it's okay with you, if I want to adjust to that, please let it be on your time. And he said, that's totally fair. And so he took the time to change a lot of things. And I kind of, I probably screwed myself a little bit because, because he used so much time redeploying for himself, I felt guilty taking more of his time redeploying my own. So I redeployed a little bit, but I didn't maybe redeploy as much as I should have. And uh, so, so maybe, maybe I, I should have taken more time, but I mean, I, I want to fight. And so, um, so me and Brandon, uh, we, we, then I made him go first again, but he was in a little better shooting position now. So Brandon starts off, and he really goes for it. He's very aggressive. He kind of takes the center with his Bolgren hiding in a building, and, uh, and he's just he's putting a lot of pressure on me. Shoot, he killed my truck that was trying to hide and, and killed a, a unit of grots or something, did some damage. Um, and then I, I'm, and he, he failed his whatever the psychic power that gives him a plus one on his staves on his Bolgren. He failed it. And so I'm sitting there going, dude, I have a chance at the Bolgren. Do I go for it? And, I mean, I know I'm not supposed to. I'm supposed to ignore them and kill other stuff, but the orc in me is just screaming, wah! And so I charge with 30 boys, and I slaughter a bunch of guardsmen. I hit the Bulgrim pretty hard, um, but they, of course, survive, and they strike back. They do some damage to my boys, and we're in a scrum. It's in a scrap in the middle. I do hold more. I didn't bonus that turn. So then Brandon counterattacks, and his guardsmen came in, and I think he focused, and I think he'll probably admit this, he focused a little too much on my boss instead of my boys, and he killed the boss, barely, this is the biker boss, he killed my biker boss, and uh, he did some damage to the boys, but then the boys interrupted, killed basically the 30, 20 guard, guardsmen that had charged in and did more damage to the Ogren, the Bulgren. And left it in a position where my second turn, I charged in again, this time with my Killy Claw boss, and did, and oh, and he failed his psychic power again for his leadership. And this was re-rolls and everything, he failed his, his psychic power. And uh, so my boss came in, did a lot more damage to the, to the Bulgren. Uh, they're very weak now. My shooting is doing a pretty effective job on tanks, clearing things up. And uh, I feel like I'm in a pretty good place. I have a lead. But it's Brandon Grant. So Brandon is short on time, really significantly short on, his, on this turn. Because of the delays in starting, because of his, his misreading of the rules, he was so tight on time. And I had quite a bit more than him, which is rare for me, which was kind of a nice feeling. But it, it's interesting how you get – sometimes you, you misread things. But he – so he's playing really fast, and we're both trying to help each other, and he's being great. I mean, he's just such a gentleman, and, and I'm trying to help him. He's trying to help me, and uh, he plays really fast, but, but uh, I mean, we both make little errors, but we're kind of helping each other, so it's not a big deal. And because we're both playing fast, we both make a couple little errors, but we both know what we're intending to do. So it's great to play somebody like that who you respect and, and – uh, and play so hard. Then finally, um, I'm, uh, I, I realize he's got two minutes left. Um, and I've got like, at this point, I have like seven. And basically, he wanted another turn. I would love to have had another turn, but I just, 
I, I didn't feel like I could, in two minutes, I could do what I needed to. I tried, um, but as we see, it ended up I needed the whole time just to, to do the things that I needed. So I was going to be under five, so this was going to be the last turn. I had counted it up in my head that I did have a good lead, but I still had to get some work done on the final turn. Um, there were a couple of things that I misplayed just time-wise. I thought I had plenty of time with seven minutes, but I'm like going and I'm going, okay, now I'm going to assault with this unit and this unit. I should have just assaulted with the one unit instead of trying for redundancy and just swamp. But I ended up charging in with three units so that I could make sure I killed it. And then I hear a beep, 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 beep. The time was up. And I'm going, no way, that can't be. Because I needed that for a big game hunter. It was a big deal. I was freaking out. I look over, did I just lose because I was being over cautious? But when we counted up the points, we look at it, and I beat him by a point. And I'm just going, ugh. And I knew Thomas had won, and it sounds like he had won big. Thomas is my dear friend and somebody who has taught me so much about the game. So there are going to be two undefeated, and I knew it was my friend. And I go, oh, did Thomas catch me? Because I knew he won big. Thomas comes over. And I find out that, that my dear friend, I beat him by two points. And our team went first, second, and fourth at the tournament. And I couldn't be prouder of these guys. God bless Richard Kilton. Now, while this was all going on, the internet was absolutely abuzz with Thomas Hegstromoki's performance. He was running a monofaction list by ITC standards and one that has been an underperforming army for over a year. Yes, yes, indeed. Thomas Hegstromoki brought blood angels to the Boise Cup. He brought what? He, blood angels, the sons of Sanguinius, as it were, the sparkly vampires. Goodness gracious. And not only that, he brought a list that you kind of would have expected to see a year and a half ago out of blood angels with one or two of the later adjustments. Um, so we start off, he's got a battalion with the Sanguinor, or as he calls him, Sanguinor. Um, a chaplain with a jump pack and power fist, a librarian with a jump pack, three units of scouts with combat knives, a second battalion, this with a sanguinary priest with two chainswords and a jump pack, and a smash captain. That's a captain with a jump pack, a thunder hammer, and storm shield. He then had two more units of scouts with combat knives, a squad of infiltrators, and then a vanguard detachment of blood angels with the brand new librarian and phobos armor. A Sanguinary Ancient with the Standard of Sacrifice and an Inferno Pistol. Fifteen Death Company, five of which had Thunder Hammers. And ten Sanguinary Guard, eight with Swords, two with Power Fists. And finally, the uh, Pick Your Assassin Stratagem for that, with that extra 85 points that he had left in reserve. Um, this is quite the list. Like mm -hmm. I said, this is kind of the list that you'd expect to see, you know, BAO 2018. Um, not nothing from this year. If you want to prove that there was that this is a tournament with good terrain, I think uh, I think this list going five and zero has got to be evidence of that. Well, how about we listen to what Thomas had to say about it? Because I think he touches on that a little bit. Oh wait, I wasn't just doing deep analysis there. Well, you know, whoopsie. What inspired me to try to give Blood Angels a go? Um, well, I had been playing. I've been playing Space Marines uh, as long as I've played the game and uh, play regular Space Marines for the most part. But I find, I found that um, they, they became very mono-build, and you couldn't do very much with them, and they, they, they didn't have the close combat that, and the mobility 
that I see from other armies and that I wanted. And Blood Angels do have it, uh, but they are also weak when it comes to, to shooting. I had uh, in the past used kind of mixed lists. Last year at the Boise Cup, I ran with a knight, Blood Angels with a knight. But once they uh, changed the ITC to uh, only get faction scores for full build, uh, I decided to go mono build. As for uh, anything special, any special approach, um, I definitely believe that um, for my list to work, you have to have good terrain. Um, and I knew uh, Aaron, Aaron Albert's great. Uh, he's passionate about having good terrain. And um, I knew that we could get, um, that, that my list would be able to at least play, at least have a chance in, in the meta. MVP units for this this weekend. I don't know that there was one unit, uh, one one model or unit. Um, every everybody had kind of their own game to shine. Uh, my game three, my scouts were really pat were really good. Um, my my assassin was really uh, the Calidus was really clutch in game two to make Sean make some decisions he didn't want to make. My uh, Vindicare in game. Th- uh, five just wrecked house. Um, in game three as well, my Vindicare played really well. I aced two um, orc characters turn one, and then was a threat the whole rest of the game. Even though she only laid out two wounds for the whole rest of the game. Um, special shout out to the um, Sanguinary Ancient. Always the Sanguinary Ancient with the Banner of Sacrifice is just amazing unit. Um, even when even when he died, he was always there. So there you have it. And uh, if anybody's interested in how most of his games went and and, uh, and his strategies going into each one, um, Thomas has started doing a series of articles for FLG on the Boise Cup and uh, his experience there. He's already put his round one experience up. It's a really good read if you want to get into the nitty gritty tactics that I know a lot of people were very interested in. Um, I can also tell you that Thomas is super open to anybody sending him a message and asking him for uh, tips and tricks on Blood Angels or just uh, general advice. He's a, a quality individual from everything I've been told. And Thomas's round five opponent was one Ryan Lynn running a list that Peter has affectionately dubbed Steroid City. I would be remiss if I didn't bring up Steroid City because this is quite the exciting list uh, f- for me to see at a top table. Uh, first off, he's got a Jormungandr uh, Tyranids Battalion with two Neurothropes, a Ripper Swarm Squad, Two units of Termagants with Flesh Borers, one of 10, one of 11. And then eight Carnifexes with heavy Venom Cannons and uh, twin uh, uh, Brain Leech Devourers. He then has a Cult of the Four-Armed Emperor Vanguard with a Magus and five Aberrants, as well as a Biophagus and a Clambivus. And lastly, he's got a Brood Brothers Vanguard with a Primaris Psyker, an Astropath, and I believe it's eight Bulgren and a Minastorm Priest. Oh my, that's a lot of big muscly monsters coming your way. While we weren't able to get any comment from Ryan on how the final went, uh, game went down, it definitely sounded like a quick affair as the two melee-oriented armies met on the battlefield and the Sons of Sanguinius ended up victorious. Let's hear from Thomas about going 5-0 and and how the event wrapped up for him. Uh, it's really funny. I finished my game five and knew that I was five and zero um, before Rich and Brandon finished their game by a good forty five minutes. So, like, uh, people came up to me and said, "Wow, hey, congrats!" and and that was really cool. But they also were like, "Hey, you know, if Brandon and and Rich tie, or if either one of them only scores twenty or below, you're gonna win the whole thing." 
and it was it was really funny and ironic and rich came right up and hugged me i mean he's my teammate he's a good friend uh came right up and hugged me when he was like you know i beat you by two points and i was like ah no beat me by two points um but it was it was just a great weekend it was so cool to um uh, to just do that well and really surprising. I mean, honestly, I, I, I'm going to do a write-up for – I'm doing write-ups on Frontline. And uh, my game three, I, I really honestly – it was it was dice. I shouldn't have won that game. My opponent was – So there you have it. Rich Kilton comes out on top yet again. Congratulations, old man. <laughs> Let's have let him have the final word, though, before we bump out of here. I appreciate all the support, and I appreciate the, the article that John – why wire Mueller, I don't know how to say his name. Sorry, John. Um, wrote he's gonna give me a yellow card now at LVO because I mispronounced his name. But uh he wrote an article on, on Frontline Gaming about um the game being a young man's game and and uh, about Rich Kilton being an outlier because, you know, most of the players are young, single and don't have kids and and uh, that I'm the outlier, and it's great to be the outlier. And I think it just fired up the orcs that that um, that uh, we were we were being uh, we were being called the old man. And I call myself the old the old war boss because uh, it's great to be old because we're wily and we're crafty, and we don't have to show off. We just have to win, boys. And that's what we did this weekend, and it was it was awesome. And I'm I'm happy to represent the orcs and. Uh, and thanks for all you do, Val and, and Falcon. You guys are great. Tournament news. I'm Lawrence Baker. And this is the B-Bone from Tabletop Tactics. You're listening to 40K Stat Center. Oh, whoa. Did, did we just get disturbed by celebrities? Oh, my God. Did you really get them to say that? Regardless, ladies and gentlemen, why don't we now swing on over to El Paso, Texas also known as a cozy little border town nestled up to picturesque Juarez, Mexico. You may know it from such cultural touchstones as Breaking Bad, Sicario, and Jars of Salsa. And John Cook. However, it is also home to one of the stops of the Texas Circuit Championships, the Desert Rat GT. Culminating in a final, one can only assume, gun-crazed, desperate standoff at WarGamesCon in August. The circuit also has whistle stops at the Dallas Open, Alamo Independent GT, and the upcoming Warzone Houston. Let's kick it over to Vincent Arroyo for some more background on the event. I've been running the El Paso GT for two years. I decided to run the event because I really enjoy traveling to competitive events around the country, and I wanted to bring that back to my home so I could maybe inspire others to travel and enjoy the competitive aspect of the game. I think what was special about the event was the unique environment in which it was held. It had the feeling of a local tournament, but half the tables were games you'd expect to see on top tables at a major. The level of competition was awesome, but it also had a very close-knit and uh, relaxed feel to the environment. There was an incredibly diverse meta for the Desert Rat. Uh, we were lucky enough to have players travel from different parts of four states to play in the event, from as far away as Denver and Houston to Phoenix. It was an incredible diversity of lists and some really skilled players I was very happy to see. After four rounds of play, two players sidled up to the top table. An undefeated Nick Sutherland playing Orcs and his opponent Dino Sedano sitting on three wins and a draw with his lovable Necrons. Before we get to the main event, let's take a second and highlight Jeremy Lefebvre. 
I believe that's how it's pronounced in Le France. Let's go with the uh, the Brett Favre pronunciation here. I'm going to say it's Jeremy Lafarbe. I think it's Jeremy Lefebvre. <laughs> But anyway, he wound up in second place at the event with a 4-0-1 showing, also going undefeated. Although he was playing Drukari in the desert, uh, make no mistake, this list is still a beautiful snowflake. He brought a Cult of Strife battalion detachment with Lilith Hesperax and a Succubus. He then had one, two, three, four units of five witches, two with Hydra Gauntlets, one with a Chardonnay Impaler, one just plain Jane. And then he had three uh, fast attack reaver squads, two squads of six and a squad of three. He then had a second battalion detachment, this one of Cabal of the Flayed Skull with two Archons. He then had three squads of five Cabalite Warriors and three Ravagers, as well as a Razor Wing and four Raiders. And lastly, he had a Prophets of Flesh patrol detachment with a Homunculus, nine Racks, and, or sorry, ten Racks. And four grotesques. Now that sure does seem to be a uh, a collection of, of very good things. Plus witches. Yeah, and I mean witches are good too. They're really good at holding up things. I think the the one thing that's a little uh, different from his list, and it's something I am seeing more and more recently, is reavers. They were something you basically never saw, except maybe at the bottom tables at events up until uh, the the latest FAQ. And now you're starting to see them show up more and more in events. Uh, as well as Lelith. Lelith is also something that uh, doesn't show up very often. Most people just run two plain succubi. So it's a very, very interesting list. Very yeah, good. Jeremy's going to touch on Lilith, but what do you think is causing people to dust off the Reavers? Is it just boredom? People trying new stuff? Well, what, what's pushing them that way? I really couldn't tell you. Uh, that's a question for someone like Jeremy or maybe uh, Ridven. Fine. We'll ask them. And uh, why don't we ask them right now? I had a lot of fun making my list. It works in a way that works with my playstyle a lot. I can be very aggressive, so I tried building a list that allows me to do that. Not one single unit in the list is going to do all the work. Everything is meant to work together. It's one reason I really like the Reaver jet bikes, as they're just kind of like a vanguard that I throw out in front, and them being Cult of Strife allows them to get an extra attack, so they can actually punch when they get into combat and take some stuff out, where normal Reaver, Reaver jet bikes just kind of bounce off and do nothing. But their main job is just to kind of tie things up and draw fire, and that's why I make them plus one toughness from their drugs. So they're about 24 wounds of plus... Of toughness five and that draw, drew a lot of fire in the tournament and if they didn't all die for the NPC uh, unit in the tournament I think that is going to have to go to Lilith Hexbrax because she's just a beast when she gets into close combat and I managed to get her into close combat in every single game and she went into characters because that's her preferred target because she gets to reroll everything in the first game, I think she took out three Harlequin characters. Um, in the second game, she went toe-to-toe -to -toe with a Knight Crusader. Um, with help from the Archon with a Jin Blade, they actually took it down. But little Hexbrack died in the aftermath of the explosion. So did the Archon when the Knight blew up. Um, let's see, in the third game, we... She went up against two Archons in another Drukari list, and she took out two Archons, just volume of attacks. Now, uh, returning 
to the uh, thanks, Jeremy, by the way, for your insight on your list. Um, uh, why don't we return to that top table and have a look at Dino Sedano's zombie robots? Yep. So if you guys are following along either on BCP or through 40kstats.com, um, it's actually under Antonio Sedano. However, uh, Dino is a preferred nickname, at least from Val's perspective. Mm hmm. We're real tight. You're super tight. So uh, Dino brought a Sotek airwing detachment with three doom sides, a Sotek battalion with a Cryptek, Immotech the Stormlord, three squads of Immortals with Tesla, uh, two squads of 10 and a squad of five, a Triarch Stalker with the twin heavy gauze cannon, and eight uh, tomb blades with uh, twin Tesla carbines. He then had a... Uh, Sotek spearhead detachment with a lord carrying the veil of darkness and a war scythe and three doomsday arcs. Now, as with uh, other Necron players of past weeks, Dino was very happy to share his thoughts on how he's making Necrons work and some notable tweaks since his last out outing a little while back. I did make a few tweaks to my list from my notes at the Alamo GT. I removed some models to make points to add a Triarch Stalker to cut down on some of the randomness of a Legion of Doom, the three doom scythes and three doomsday arcs. With D6 shots and D6 damage, the Doomsday Arcs tend to be a bit sweet. Adding the reroll once to hit on the tar on a target from the target relay ability can often be the difference in taking down a threat. The bulk of the list remained the same. Lots of Tesla mortals getting plus one to the Tesla procs from my will be done, and then Tomb Blades to be a quick reaction force to tie up units if needed. Toss in a cloak tech with the Abyssal Staff for some mortal wound generation, a lord to get reroll wounds for those Tesla Immortals, and Emotech to call down the storm. Necrons right now are pretty straightforward. So your threat analysis on the start of your turn needs to be sharp, so you can move correctly to have the correct firing lanes and backup fire support when the worst case of D6 shots and D6 damage shows up. I'm sure most of my opponents would have given the MVP title to my Tomb Blades. The 8-man squad with their natural minus 1 to hit in the shoot shooting phase, 14-inch move, toughness 5, and 32 Tesla shots did work this weekend. With my Doomsday arcs performing pretty subpar day 1, the Tomb Blades needed to pick up the slack. There were several times in multiple matches over the weekend in which two or even one bike would survive my opponent's shooting, and the unit would reanimate in my turn to almost full strength. With the big guns letting me down at times, these fast units swung games in my favor. The Tomb Blades were, were key to my finishing with a tie in round three against Tau and to be able to get the points I needed to tie against the Orcs. I'm not sure if you've ever suffered the fate of staring down a bunch of Tomb Blades, but um, they are murderous. Yes, uh, I have. When the Necron Codex first was released, I managed to get in a play game against them. And it was absolutely disgusting, the amount of firepower those things put off. And they're even technically a little better now. I don't know if you were listening too closely, but do you think it's weird that uh, both Dino and Michael Tempe sound exactly the same when they talk about Necron facts? Like, I'm pretty sure they may, in fact, both be robots because everything was so measured. The cadence was the same. And you can tell that the flesh is just sort of falling off of their uh, robotic <laughs> skeleton as well as they're speaking. It's gross. Yeah, it's very much a Terminator-style uh, situation going on there. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, of course, these weren't the only filthy Xenos bringing the pain this weekend. Nick Sutherland was running my beloved orcs, and let's have a look at that list. And by let's, I mean, I'm going to do this. Are you going to do it? You know, you've been, you've, been, you've been hogging the mic, man. 
And are you going to uh, cop out on this one? I'm on the I'm on the podcast too, and I'm going to read this one because I know orcs. All right, here we go. I have faith. Battalion detachment, evil sons in the HQ. We had a big mech with uh, the uh, custom force field and a grot oiler. War boss on war bike with an attack squig and a power claw. Yeah, what with the shooter option there, shave two points, very nice. Uh, then we had 90 boys, boss knobs uh, just going with the chop slugger, no upgrades, which is fantastic. And the boys all have, uh, well, actually one unit has shooters, the other two have slugger and chopper. And then the second battalion de- detachment is the patented Dreadwad uh, detachment of the Death Skulls variety, uh, my favorite. Uh, we have uh, the obviously the Big Mac with shock attack gun and the souped up shaka. And then two pals, also with shock attack gun. He's going triple shocks here, folks. He's not messing around. 30 grots to round out the battalion. And then it looks like he's got, uh, what, uh, a cool dozen um, smasher guns. Also not messing around. And then in his, third, <laughs> in his third detachment, shocker, bad moons, which has got two weird boys, 30, actually 33 Gretchen. And look at that, 15 Ludas even. That's a lot of stuff. That is a lot of stuff. And uh, it's no surprise to me that we're starting to see more and more Smasher Guns show up in lists uh, with the uh, death of the Luda Bomb and the Meganob Bomb and all the other bombs that people used to make now that uh, you can't uh, mob them up any longer. Uh, Smasher Guns are really efficient for their points, uh, possibly the most efficient uh, damage to point ratio. It's just they give up kills like nobody's business. Yeah, they certainly are susceptible to that. But, I mean, it is still, I believe, a six-wound Toughness 5 uh, vehicle. So, you know, it's... Not not nothing to take down. For sure. Clearly, people uh, didn't kill them all in this uh, tournament because uh, we are talking about the eventual winner's list here. Why don't we swing it on over to the man himself and uh, he can give us some insights. When I was building this list, I really wanted to make a uh, very shooty orc list. Um, I was in between uh, running uh, 18 mech guns and 60 boys or 12 mech guns and 90 boys. Uh, eventually decided on the 90 boys um, because I have so much DACA I uh, tend to play a lot more conservative than a uh, most orc list um, I usually put a unit of boys in the teleporter um, and then I have 60 boys start the table and uh, I'll jump uh, one squad of usually shoot a boys turn one uh, try to take out some screens try to take out some um, drones or anything like that um and then uh turn two i'll jump the other squad and bring the other squad from the teleporter and uh then try to make some eight inch charges um but although all the while that that's happening uh there's just an unseen amount of daca that's going into stuff so my mvp for um the desert rat gt was uh definitely my um shock attack uh relic uh mech for i'd say four out of the games and then uh, one of the games I played against was um, against a uh, list that had a bunch of line of sight snipers and um, a bunch of deep strikers, so uh, I didn't have any targets for him. And in that game, uh, whenever his deep strikers did come down, uh, my Ludas uh, proved to be the MVP in that game. Uh, there were about three times that I rolled 11-plus for uh, my strength, and uh, whenever I was shooting my uh, shock attack relic mech, I would always cast more Daka on him. And I think uh, one of the times I rolled really hot for hits with um, Death Skull rerolls, more Daka, and I ended up doing about 17. We've got two scintillating descriptions of these filthy Xenos 
mono faction by definition because they don't have any other choice uh, lists. Um, why don't we just go straight to the uh, the wrap up of the Desert Rat GT here and their descriptions of the top table action. First, just want to say that Dino is an awesome player, and every time that we've played, we've had a great game. On the last table, I think the turning point would be when his um, amalgamated targeting data only did three mortal wounds to my Ludas, forcing him to pump pretty much all of his first turn into the Grots and the Ludas to finally kill them. Nick's list is a solid counter to what I am currently running. This orc list is designed to remove tanks, knights, and flyers. Necron tanks are just a few poor quantum shielding rules away from getting tabled. Nick knew if he went first, it was going to be a real struggle for me to keep up. Luckily, I got first turn on a search and destroy deployment in which I set up very aggressively to go all in. Not a tactic I would use in every game, but was my best option against this list. I was able to get my Doomsday Arcs, Tomb Blades, Flyers, and using Veil of Darkness, Immortals, into range to lay down a lot of firepower removing some threats, but with only one unit making a charge, I couldn't tie up enough smash guns. The match was a brutal haymaker after haymaker fight you want to see, but with Nick going second, he was able to remove the right things to always hold more, and I could never get the break I needed to get the one up on him. This game was honestly a game of inches. One right move in either direction. One extra quantum shielding save for me, one smash gun not missing for Nick, would have tilted the game in either player's favor. At the end of the day, that's the kind of 40k you want to play. A clean game with high stakes, where disagreements on rules are handled like gentlemen, and after the match, you can have drinks and joke about the game that just went down. Nick, I want to take this moment to thank you for such a great game. You cleaned house all weekend, and congrats on your first place finish. Enjoy it, buddy, because I'm coming for you in two weeks at Warzone Houston. Whoa, things got real there at the end. Yep, Antonia is a robot confirmed, but a respectful one at least. Congrats to Nick for pulling out the second GT of the weekend for the boys, and we'll be back a little bit later with Dino, but first... Look out for the bump. Tournament News. Hey everybody, I'm Paul Murphy from Forge the Narrative, and you're listening to 40K Stat Center. Oh my god, another celebrity. Who is that guy? That that was the Paul Murphy, uh, Forza Narrative. Great podcast. Listen to it, guys. It's fantastic. I think next up we should talk about New Zealand, the land of sheep and hills and hills and sheep. A land where spaghetti is a pizza topping and not an Italian dish. A land with a rich history as the smaller, more polite, and less deadly brother to Australia. Did we mention some of them also put spaghetti on pizza? Anyway, more importantly, these blessed folk play Warhammer and have been doing it for a long time. The Battle Above the Brinderwinds is in its 15th year, as far as we can tell. It is hard to say, as the internet did not exist in New Zealand before then, and based on several seconds of our research, has been a mainstay of the Northern Ireland since. This year, the event was a 1,750-point ITCGT, with the limitation that no model above 650 points was allowed in your list. The event was run via down-under pairings, if you're interested in tracking what list showed up and performed. We were lucky enough to speak to attendee and eventual winner of the event, Ashley Pittman. So the event that I attended this weekend was called Battle Above the Brindowans. Uh, this event has been going for several years now, and it was my first time attending. It was a super cool event, which was a five-round, 1750-point ITC event, which featured some of, I would say, the North Island's best players, excluding a couple players from down in Wellington. The competitive 40k scene here in New Zealand is growing at the moment, and we're seeing more events now than ever in previous years. 
uh, we're currently seeing a lot more ITC events coming up, whereas in the past we were leaning more towards Maelstrom missions, but more event organizers are leaning towards uh, ITC, and we usually play around the 1750 point mark. However, with event organizers like Stephen Morris, he's starting to transition us now into the 2000 point league, and I believe more event organizers are chiming into that. So we're going to see a bit of a change here in the scene to follow more of the traditional suit, I believe. Our current meta is night heavy with space elves and a couple of horde players, which I think we're going to start to see more of in the future. So uh, with a selection of New Zealand's finest on display, Ashley did eventually come out on top as the only undefeated player, beating Hayden Korach's uh, pure Jukari list. If you want to check out uh, downunderpairings.com, I'd I do believe you need to have a subscription in order to view lists uh, from events that are in the past, much like BCP. But um, otherwise, it's right here. So Ashley ran a guard battalion with a, a, a Katachan Emperor's Fist tank company with three tank commanders, all of them with battle cannons, one with the Relic Hammer of Sundrance. He then had three infantry squads. He had a spearhead Cadian detachment with a company commander and nine mortars. And then finally, he had a super heavy detachment with, uh, this was House Volker, by the way, with three uh, Armager, Armager Helverins and a Knight Crusader. A Knight Crusader. A Knight Crusader. Shocking, I know. Really, the only big difference here is uh, House Volker, which I imagine you could use um, the uh, the Warlord trait that they get. The can only be wounded on a 4+, plus, maybe, is the reasoning, but there, there's lots going on there. Absolutely. Well, why don't we get a little more specific insight on what's going on uh, from the man himself? And that's right. His name's Ashley. What I think was cool with my list construction is that I took my 1500 point list, which I won with just recently, um, and subbed out the Castellan for the Crusader. And I kept the three Helverant and introduced three tank commanders. Now, what I think was great with this list is that people still target knights and they value that as one big threat. Whereas my list has actually seven big threats, which is the three tank commanders, the three Helverin, and the knight. The ones who are really doing all the work is the Helverins with flat three and the Sundarins with flat three and then the two other tank commanders that have D3 damage. So these guys are doing more work than the knight and people tend to just focus on this big target that's walking towards them. And I think this was just a really great balance in having so many multiple threats that with such high damage that it's really hard for the opposition to actually pick what they want to kill. And the Helverin have 60 inch range and the battle cannons have 72. These are sitting back just slinging hot shots at people while the knight just walks towards them just gently pattering away at them. My MVP for this weekend was definitely my tank commanders. I was running three tank commanders with battle cannons and a single heavy bolter. This was in the Vigilist detachment, the Emperor's Fist. So I had one of them was the Hammer of Sundarance, and this guy was definitely putting in so much work. With the double tapping battle cannon and the flat three damage, he was deleting people. Um, paired with old grudges, which I absolutely love. Um, I just sat them back at the uh, at the back of the board. I don't know I would just light up someone's knight, and that they would just sack it absolutely turn one. I was just dropping knights with these tanks. Uh, everyone said that oh they don't like versing knights or seeing my knights in my list. When the real threat that they were mentioning was that it was actually the tanks that were doing more work than anything. I feel like the shortcomings with my list would be if, if, if I went up against uh, one of the Orc players which was playing in the semi-finals. I was super worried about playing that list because I just don't think I have the firepower to deal with the hordes. So I was very fortunate in all of my matchups. I didn't verse a single horde player and I versed uh, multiple knight lists. 
which I was easily able to deal with because my list is designed to deal with heavy, uh, well, heavy armor. I did have versus a um, Elder Flyer list in my semi-final match, which was the biggest threat I personally thought I was going to face. Uh, he is who was also my teammate, um, and I had played against the list before, and I was able to get a win. And if I knew if I went second, I probably would have lost that match just because of the firepower that this list can put out. I was very lucky I got first and was able to deal with that list. And I was very happy I was able to verse the Dark Elder player in the finals because I knew my list could take that down. So now Ashley did have one more important thing to say before he signed off. And I cannot really think of a better way to close out our coverage on this event. Absolutely. And I just want to give a shout out to everyone playing down under in New Zealand. We have had some love uh, for Australian tournaments. One of the coolest things about the show is getting to talk to people from all over the world. Even if for the moment you're playing 1750 and Peter has no respect for you, that doesn't mean the rest of us don't. Oh my God, I'm going to get so many more messages. You know, that's the one, I think that's the one thing that's going to get you some, some, some quality shade. Ah, uh, it's true. It's true. Beloved format, the 1750. And let's toss it over to Ashley speaking about something else beloved to him. I'd also like to add a little shout out to my mum just to say thanks for all of her support and uh, to any of those parents out there fostering little nerds play, uh, who play with little toy soldiers in their free time. Support those ch children of yours because one day they'll end up on this glorious podcast spreading vast words of uh, victory and bell. Oh, with a tear in my eye, as Mr. T once said, respect your mama. Now where's that bump? Crack open those spreadsheets, nerds. Because it's time to put the stats in Stats Center. Courtesy of 40kstats.com. I like that little robot sound at the end that Keith tuned in there for us. Yeah, I'm pretty impressed. He's quite the quality individual. Not too bad at all. So here we go. We're actually going to talk a little bit of stats here. And this is this one is prompted by um, someone, some might say, uh, a man who gives no Fs, Ray Aumada. There you go. Not Ahumata, as I think I said last time. Uh, he commented on one of our posts. He said, uh, in reference to uh, Dino's um, uh, Necron list, well, I mean, the Desert Rat GT was on a win as it was versus Necrons, so does it even count? Well, I queued up old Dino with that little barb, and this is what he had to say. I would like to thank Ray for taking notice of my performance at Alamo in May. His podcast was shared with me after that GT. It became part of my listing rotation as I paint ever since. It's flattering to have a player of race caliber take so much interest in me and my Necrons, since the army is considered to be one of the bottom tier factions in the game. But Necrons are far better than what the majority of players believe. We are a strong faction right now, with the points drops received from chapter approved. The shift to tanks because of the changes to knights, certain Yunari players struggling to play without the extra phases, and being a strong counter to Gene Soda Cult have made Necrons become a force that need to be dealt with. I have shown this with having gone 8 wins, 0 losses, and 2 down-to-the-wire ties in my last 2 GTs. With that said, Falcon, could you please hit us up with an amazing tale of the tape, comparing last year's Necron stats to this year's Necron stats? Well, Dino, I don't mind if I do. So, let's quickly go over uh, the pre-LVO 2019 Necrons. They were in, they were in a poopy state. They had a 40% win rate. Uh, only Imperial Power Armor factions were performing worse, other than Death Watch. After the Death Watch Codex, they, they were doing relatively well. They had an average VP of 19 per game. Only Space Wolves and Grey Knights were doing worse. Uh, 
and their average opponent's VP was 23.62. So only Grey Knights were performing worse uh, when the in, at least in regards to uh, giving up points. Um, they had the third worst uh, average first round loss at 1.64, and they had a T-whip of 1.38%. I believe they had two players that got to 4-0 um, prior to LBO in the seven months or so of data that I collected. And uh, they took up about 4.5% of the field. So uh, there was a lot of talk back then, and really right up until just after LVO, the consistent talk was that Necrons were absolute garbage and either needed a new codex or they needed drastic point drops. Um, I'm not sure, Val, if you heard the same thing. I assume so. We're part of the same uh, groups. but Yeah, I'd say that Necrons were definitely, uh, um, uh, you know, talked poorly about all the way through there. And then there was the much ballyhooed reduction in points in chapter approved, and they still people clamored for, uh, you know, a Codex 2.0. But I think the reality of, you know, GT performance, at least anecdotally, until you start talking again, uh, seems to point in the other direction. Sure. So uh, at LVO, and just prior, actually, mid to late January, so a couple weeks before, we started to see some better uh, Necron performances. Um, they were they weren't winning anything still, but you were seeing more you know three one and one four and one uh, records coming out of Necron players as they switched to the uh, the triple Doomsday Arc build. Uh, Doom size weren't quite on the menu yet, not until LVO itself. Uh, Thomas Christensen's list uh, got a lot of uh, ballyhoo because he went five and one with Necrons, which a lot of people didn't think was possible. We can't both say ballyhoo. Oh, I apologize. I'll say something else next time. Okay. Uh, but uh, after the after LVO, they saw an immediate uptick. They went from a 40% win rate to a more respectable 46.5. It's still a little low. Um, generally, for me, if you're going to just use win percentage as something you want to track, uh, which I don't necessarily think you should, um, you want something more in the like 47 plus range minimum uh, to really be considered a, a, like a, a, a contender army. Um, their average VP went up to 19.78, but the big thing for them uh, post LVO was that their average opponent's VP dropped to just over 20, uh, which is huge. That's a like a three point drop in the points they were giving up per game. Um, it caused their average first loss to go up to 1.84, which, while still low, it wasn't uh, it wasn't you know that Grey Knight level, uh, quote unquote, as we uh, usually would refer it to. And their T whip was up a little bit; it was at 2.3 percent. Um, though uh, people had definitely stopped playing them, they were down to just a little over three percent of faction representation uh, coming out after LVO, as people kind of tried to figure out the the new meta. So, as far as as faction representation is concerned versus T whip, I mean that ratio is wildly improved versus before the LVO. Yes, it's definitely better. But after the fact, uh, the latest FAQ, which, you know, Dino does mention, with the, you know, Castellan essentially disappearing, only showing up in... Uh, say four percent of lists versus twelve, um, and the the you know disappearance of Inari. Now, the, like Necrons, well, Necrons face numbers, which and face is what I refer to as like just like win percentage and VPs, the things that most people first look at when they're trying to determine if a faction's good. They haven't changed around that much. Their win rate is now just over forty-seven. Um, and their average VP has gone up about two points, but almost every faction has. I brought that up on Chapter Tactics a few weeks back. Uh, the most important thing for Necrons right now, uh, after uh, the FAQ, is that their average first loss and their T-Whip have gone up dramatically. Um, they sit at a 2.03 average first round loss, which is you know on par with uh, the current Custodes first round loss, and they're considered a, a major performer because of the Caladius Grav Tanks. Um, it's there with... Uh, with 
it's the Craft World Eldar. Like they're right up there in terms of that. And more importantly, they have a T whip of seven percent. Um, with a 4% list representation, and that's massive. Uh, generally, a really good cue as to if a faction is, is uh, you know, performing well is if their T-Whip is at or above their faction representation, and uh, they're almost double at this point with the... the, the um, the Sorry, my brain just shut right off. With the performances of, say, Dino and uh, Michael uh, that we've had on the show previously, and uh, a number of other players, Thomas Christensen, uh, who I already mentioned, um, Necrons are definitely building up. And uh, while uh, Ray did make that joke, um, I did get to watch Ray's game in, in BAO against uh, against Necrons. Eldar definitely are a big threat for the, the Necron list. Um, I believe it's possibly their worst matchup when I look at their... Uh, their faction versus faction reports. So that's definitely something to also consider. But still, like really good performances uh, coming out of this Necron group, and uh, they're definitely on the the uptick. They're so, they're not at that like tower gene stealer cults level that we're currently seeing, but they're they're getting there. Essentially, what we want to say to Ray is check your Eldar privilege. Necrons <laughs> are doing just fine against everyone else. Yeah, they're doing okay. They're not they're they're not top of the heap, but they can be, and that's the big deal. Amazing. Well, you know, I think we got to bring more stats in a stat center. That was that was really enlightening. If this is something that you guys liked um, and you're a, a Chapter Tactics Patreon member, feel free to, uh, you know, ask me at any point in the Chapter Tactics uh, Facebook group uh, for any info you want on particular factions, uh, and I can do that exact same deep dive for you, no trouble at all. Yeah, and we can also, uh, we'll occasionally go out on, on uh, the, the Chapter Tactics Patreon trolling for questions. We actually did get one that we won't be able to get to uh, today, but um, yeah, definitely got some good access there. And, you know, supporting the Chapter Tactics Patreon supports our show, so uh, we highly encourage it. Anything else uh, we want to hit on before we uh, hit that dusty trail? Nope. Just once again, guys, thanks uh, everyone who listens uh, for all of their feedback, positive or negative. We take it all. We love it all. I'm just super happy to be here. This is uh, episode 4.5. If uh, you want to get you into a weird... You don't uh, You don't count the pilot, man. Dude, you count the pilot. <sighs> anyway, Peter, what do you usually say about now? Bye-bye. This has been 40K Stat Center, a presentation of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Like what we do? Subscribe to and rate us on YouTube and wherever podcasts can be found. Join the conversation. Follow 40K Stat Center on Facebook. You can also support the show directly by joining the Chapter Tactics Patreon and competitive 40K in general via the ITC Patreon or by grabbing a subscription to BCP. BCP.